Again, it's a wonderful privilege. It's always a privilege, of course, to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to know that God is alive and that he still lives within us. We appreciate the Cavens from Coseyville. appreciate you. I knew when you walked in, I said, I know who that guy is. If I could just get it, that's the sign of old age, they tell me. But it's good, nevertheless, to be old. You're supposed to become wiser. I said you're supposed to. Fifth chapter of St. Matthew. This morning I want to read you some things that Jesus commanded that it seems it's literally impossible for any of us to do. Jesus trying to set the stage, move them out from under the law and give them grace and also with grace to give them power and overcome Hey, like y'all, who you talking to, soul man laying the lake in Mobile? But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Anybody can do that this morning? Anybody ever tried it this morning? <laughs> Let's pray we don't have to. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that askest thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, or mature, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. All of those are scriptures, meat of the word, commandments of God that seems just almost impossible for our humanity to comply with. And it would take, I suppose, pretty well all day to deal with everything that he said there in its fullness. But you don't have to be afraid I won't take all day. I'm just going to deal with one in particular and that's the one that says, Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now we, oftentimes as pastors, are troubled. Now, I haven't maybe been here long enough to be troubled too much from here, but they got accustomed to me after 19 years in Rosiclare, and it become a common thing for both old and young alike to ask me, Is it wrong to do this? Can I do such and so and still be a Christian? And as I told one young man that came to, to me wanting to do something, and I said, I don't know that it would necessarily send you to hell. I doubt seriously that it would damn your soul, but I think in the process we have got the wrong idea. 
We're trying to find out what we can do, how close we can live to the world and yet be Christians. And according to God's law, we should find out how far from the world we can live, how much we can love Him, how much good we can do for humanity, how much we can throw away and how close we can be to God. I think I want to deal with that subject this morning. You have heard individuals that have, especially in the army, having uh, been decorated for above and beyond the call of duty. Individuals that have medals for valor, purple hearts and so on, because they went beyond that which was commanded of them. Beyond that in which duty dictated that they go. And this morning we want to talk about Christian duty or Christian love. There are some things that God demands of us. I will say it's hard to uh, do Christian duty without Christian love, but yet there aren't many people that are striving to do that. There are things simply that are demanded of us, other things that are left to the goodness and graciousness of our heart that we should do out of love. Not that God demands this of us, but love for our fellow man demands it of us. This scripture says, Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. In other words, God's saying, walk the second mile. I think if there ever was a time that humanity needs this, from Christianity, it's in your day and mine. I think perhaps we have walked the first mile. I think perhaps many of us have underwent the commandments of God and did what God demanded of us. But yet he is asking us out of love, not out of duty, to walk the second mile. To reach a helping hand that perhaps he is not, we are not duty bound to reach out for. In other words, God is sending out a plea for individuals in this Christian army to go above and beyond the call of duty. I realize that they get purple hearts pinned upon their chest. But if we can go above and beyond the call of duty, we can be called overcomers by the power and by the word of Almighty God. I think perhaps this would be the greatest compliment that would be when mankind enters into the kingdom of God to have God in a sense pin a medal upon us and say, I commend you for going farther than duty demands. I commend you for going as far as love demands. Now, duty didn't demand this. Our duty did demand this. Service above and beyond the call of duty. The Jews under captivity to the Romans at that time, if they were caught out from the gates of the city of Jerusalem, a mile away from the city, any Jewish uh, soldier, any Roman soldier, could take them and compel them to act as beasts of burdens for the military Romans for one mile. Now this was duty. They could put all of their load upon a Jewish citizen if he's caught in that predicament and make him carry it for one mile. Now Jesus is looking at that and saying instead of carrying it one mile, why don't you carry it two? You see, duty demanded. As far as that was concerned, it was a law. And it demanded that they do this. But from that time on, duty released them. Right. And Jesus was saying, you're compelled to go that one mile. You're compelled to do certain things. And once you have reached that, why stop with that individual? Why don't you just continue to walk with him another mile and let love take its course? Amen. 
A lot of things is demanded of Christians. God says they must be done. But sometimes when we reach that limit of duty, we stop. And love is not progressing in us. I make the same call as it was 2,000 years ago when this was written down. The same call is for you and I as those in the Christian army that we as citizens of the Most High God, as we as soldiers of the cross, should not just go one mile, but we should go the second mile as love emits from us and commands and demands that love take charge and love take over. Jesus, instead of saying, well, I'm sorry, that you have to undergo the rigors of carrying the woman's burdens. I'm sorry that this has to be done. I'm feeling sorry for us sometimes as we approach the Christ. And look at us as we do for the most part. Duty binds us to pray. We're loaded down with the burdens and sins of the world. And we carry those for a while and give them to the altar. And we say, God, how long before I'm released from this burden that I carry? And oftentimes we're expecting the Lord to say, I'm sorry that it's on you. I'm sorry that it's there. And I think he says the same thing now as he did back then. You carry him for a mile. Duty bounds you to do this. Now out of love for that individual, just load it up and carry it another mile. Amen. And the second mile, friend, is what counts. It's not the first mile. It doesn't get too much done. And it's the second mile of counting. When you read the history concerning uh, this little tidbit dropped in the uh, 41st verse, you'll find that the Roman soldiers could not find any sympathy or any regard whatsoever for the Jewish Messiah that they tried to portray, which was Jesus, as he walked the shores of Galilee, as they were duty-bound to carry their burdens for one mile. They could talk about Jesus for a mile all they wanted to, and it didn't touch the heart of the Roman soldier. And then comes the second mile. You walked a mile, the soldier might say, now you can lay your burdens down. And to see this man burned down, look that Roman soldier in the face and said, No, I'm not through talking to you about Jesus, about my Messiah. Let me bear this another mile. It was the second mile that touched the heart of the Roman soldiers and made them look to the Messiah. Of course, they didn't have to do it. They did it out of love and compassion. And oftentimes in your day and mine, it's not the first mile that matters. Because people look at you and say, well, Christians are supposed to do this. And it's the second mile at which commandment alleviates your tongue. And you're standing in love for that man, woman, boy or girl. And say, I'll go another mile with you. And it's that second mile that gets results. You know why church houses in the hour? You know why conversions are sparse and few and far between? You know why there's not no great strong in the power of the Holy Ghost and oil moving out from the power of Almighty God? It's because individuals walk only the first mile. And then gladly in their wisdom mind, they lay down the burdens and say, man, that was hard to carry. And they touch nobody's life. I'm saying again, very few lives are touched by things we are duty-bound to do. It's those things that we do out of love. When we could not, when we could say it's enough, I'll do it no more. And it's that second mile that moves souls. 
It's a second mile that they can see compassion oozing from humanity. And it's that that touches the heart and mind of those individuals for the most part that are out in the world. There is records uh, that speak and say of how many Roman soldiers were converted and looked to Jesus as the Messiah because these poor Jewish uh, uh, people under the Roman government, under the entirety of Rome, are willing to shoulder that Roman soldier's burden and all the time how he shoulders his burdens talks to him about the Messiah and that is coming and converts him and makes him realize that something surely is different in this man or boy's life. The second mile, time after time, we watch individuals all throughout the Bible. And if you look, miracles always happen after the second mile walk. There's a need, I'll say again, for some of us, all of us, every church, and whatever needed name it might be, to gather our resources, bear the burdens, and walk the second mile telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ and letting them know that we don't necessarily under commandment have to do it, but out of the love that God has given us. We've used this, I suppose, parallel many times, but it comes in so handy this morning. And the greatest, I suppose, uh, parallel that you could find would be Abraham, the master intercessor, sitting minding his own business in his tent door, and here comes three men. Abraham rises up and it's his duty. It's his duty to stop them and see if they need anything. Washing their feet or anything to feed them. And so he bids them come in. And they come and a lot of incidents happens then. And these three men get ready to leave. Afterwards identified as God himself held in place one of his goings forth before his coming and two destroying angels. And as they get ready to leave, fact the says they're on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They're on their way to look and see if what reached the nostrils of God is an actual fact. And they're in human, human bodies. And there at the tent door, Abraham invites them in. A lot of promises made to Abraham. But then they get ready to leave. Two destroying angels leave on. But the Bible says there that Abraham stood before God. In other words, Abraham could have said, fine, well, and good. You've given me the promises. You've told me what I was going to be. Now go ahead and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham had somebody in there that he loved. Lot had already separated. Fact of business is there had been a rift between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's. And I understand a rift in a sense between Abraham and Lot. And Abraham could have said, well, he deserves it. He chose the valleys, and he chose the plains, and he deserves what he's giving. But you see, Abraham said, no, I can't do this. There's another mile that I've got to walk. And as the destroying angels left and headed towards Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says Abraham stood before the Lord. In other words, he kept him there and interceded for Lot and his family that they would come out from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and not be burned with the city. 
verse 22 of Genesis 19, I believe, says, uh, talks about that. Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And because Abraham was walking the second mile, not satisfied to take the blessings that God had given him, and the promises God said was his, not satisfied with that, and going and sat down and eating the meal that Sarah had prepared, not satisfied, knew that somebody somewhere needed someone to intercede for them. Now Abraham couldn't sit down. Abraham could have been satisfied. Abraham had fulfilled his Christian duty. And yet inside something turned. Somebody needed something. And Abraham was well aware that these individuals could not do it. It was up to him to do it. So the second mile he starts to walk. And he stays before the Lord. And the angels come in and uh, start to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet because Abraham was there. Genesis 19.22 says, Hasty, the angel says, to Lot and his family, Hasty, and escape hither, for I cannot do anything until you become out of the city. I like to say this morning, that if Christian people could get between God and humanity, and your loved ones, that you can intercede and walk the second mile and save those souls, because you can tie the hands of God him. Amen. And until you moved into his presence. But if we're not careful, we get weary. We get tired. How many years has it been since I prayed for so and so and they haven't changed to bit. In fact, they've nothing worse. God, how much longer do I have to carry this burden? How much longer do I have to hold this? And instead of looking and saying, God, I'm not satisfied that they should burn in the pits of hell. I'm not satisfied to let them go. I've walked the first mile. All duty demands and the law demands. And God, I'm going to shoulder and walk the second mile. And the second mile is what gets results. Mankind can see it's not duty bound. There's a lot of things humanity demands of Christianity that God doesn't demand. That a true-hearted individual and see that duty doesn't require us to do a lot of things that we do. It's love. Because of love. What about Moses? Went up on the mountain to get some law. Came down, whether written by the finger of God, came down from that mountain only to hear the shouts and the cries of laughter and a party. Only to find that they had taken a jewelry they had borrowed from Egypt and made a golden calf. And Moses threw down the stones in his anger. And not only did Moses get mad, and God's anger waxed hot. And God said, I'll destroy them. And I'll make of you a people. Now, you talk about a promise. You talk about somebody that got an offer. Offered to him, Moses got one offered to him. He said, I'll forget about Abraham. I'll forget about Isaac. I'll forget about all of them. And I'll make a people from your seed. God was mad. Amen? And when God gets mad, somebody somewhere has got to stand between him and the people. Otherwise, not his wrath will come down and destroy and burn. And God was mad. And Moses could have said, fine. 
I'd like for my seed to be the seed of the promise. And I would like to be the one that would be the progenitor of all and inheritor of all that you promised Abraham. I'd like that, God. And if he'd have said that, God would immediately destroy every single last Israelite except Moses and his seed. But Moses had walked as far as he was demanded to walk. He didn't have to go any farther. But he stood there between God and that people. And he says in Exodus the 32nd chapter, God says, in other words, let me alone. For my wrath, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them. In other words, Moses, get out of my way. You're standing between me and that people and my wrath. And Moses could have moved the south. Had Moses caught the message and caught the burden and walked the second mile, and these are his recorded words, if thou wilt not forgive them, then block me out of the book of life. That's a second mile. That's a mile that bottles the human mind even yet today had a mind, friend, that God is looking for today. A mind of the church that stands between this world and demands it be destroyed. Somebody said that if God does destroy the United States of America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's just one thing that keeps God from destroying the United States of America, and that's the church of the living God that set themselves between God's anger and appeals for his mercy and saves souls. Once the church doesn't do its job, and once it's not there to stand between God and the world, and our nation, it'll go down. You see, God's mad today. Even peeping through his cloud of mercy and grace, he's angry. And there's but one thing that stands. That's the church. Yes. Moses said, no, sir. I won't leave you alone. I won't step aside. I know what you promised to Abraham. Now, are you going to break those promises? And if you do, if you do, the people's going to say, God is not able to deliver. You see, Moses was concerned about the name of his God, about the reputation of his God, about the character of his God, rather than his own self-preservation of what his pride could bring him. Someday, I pray that we as mature Christians could be more concerned about the character of God, about the worth of God, and about the name of God, and our own sociable things and social habits. Because when we do, we're going to be concerned about what the world says about our God. And they even say that yet today. God's not able to say it. And that's because, for the most part, not too many have desired to walk the second mile. Where most of the people are saved, I'll say it again, through the second mile walking. Stephen, by the laying on of hands, was put over the administrative affairs of a newly formed church with six others. And this man could have been satisfied with just taking care of the administration of those things. Maybe as we put it in our day, sitting in his office. 
with ordering this one or that one to do something else. Administrators have some of others to see about the benefits of the widows and about the benefits of the orphans. But he caught a glimpse of what it would mean to walk a second mile. And he prayed that God would help him and he become the first martyr as they stoned him and laid his clothes at Paul's feet or Saul's feet and they stoned him and this man while the stoning was going on said Lord Jesus receive my spirit now if we're not careful we overlook what's happened here Stephen a martyr has died you say a wasted life he had no business there a friend God Almighty moved upon this man and said you need to go further and what you, your duty says you need to go. You see, he wouldn't have had to preach. He wouldn't have had to went out there where they stoned him to death. It wasn't duty that demanded him. His duty was to be over the administrative affairs of a new reformed church. But this man wanted to walk another mile. And as he walked that other mile, it brought his death. And as he brought his death, there was a young man there named Saul of Tarsus. And because of Stephen's attitude, instead of condemning those individuals, he says, lay not this sin to their charge, and Saul of Tarsus looked on. Anything in the history book or any reading between the lines of the Bible will tell you that this is the first time Saul of Tarsus had an insight on what Jesus could do in a life. He watched this man who was God's servant Watch him stone him to death. And yet this man had the audacity with his last dying breath to ask God to have mercy upon those that were killing him. A second mile experience, to be sure. And it brought into being one of the greatest apostles of all time that wrote book after book and changed life after life. And it had not been for Stephen that was willing to walk the second mile, this man may never have seen the love of God he meant from humanity. In other words, you never know when you go above and beyond the call of duty whose life you touch. It may not be you, but it could be a life that you touch. My father lay ill, ministered for years, watched the church be torn to smithereens, died a broken man, unable to bring back, back his composure and go on with his great ministry. Later in the hospital, one time he talked to me and said, My life has been a failure. I have not touched anyone. I began to tell him how the ministers had came out of that church. Had yes. were still alive. Had were still preaching. Regardless of the condition the church was in. Had ministered. Had his heart touched. Come on. And then I challenged him. I said, Because of your ministry, I'm a minister. Because of your ministry, my two brothers are ministered. Because of your ministry, about seven others are ministered. Because you want the second mile. And so this honorable life, and then come some ways to still believe in Almighty God. Don't tell me your life never touched anybody. And that's the way many of us look at it. If we can't be directly involved in something that's going on, here's a... the lives we influence to the lives that look on to us as we walk the second mile. Right. Love emitting from us.
greatest apostle of all times, came out of the martyrdom of Stephen, who could have said in the comfort and confines of possibly his own home. And yet, Saul possibly would never have become the Apostle Paul. I want you to look at your lives this morning. The devil would tell many of us our lives have been lived for naught. In other words, it's been such a mess. This one or that one or something else has happened. And he'll dim your view of the fact that no Christian life has ever lived in vain. No Christian experience has ever lived without notice. No one never walks a second mile without somebody doesn't notice that he's walking it. And you and I need to recognize that and believe that and stand on that. The Apostle Paul, later when he was warned of the Holy Spirit by the prophet Agabus not to go to Jerusalem, and they were throwing themselves around his neck, and he said, what do you mean to weep and to break my heart? I'm not ready to be bound only, and I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I'll walk a second mile. St. Harley Clark, an old man, was asked to recant because of his age. Said, you just recant, and you young ladies listen to me now. This is serious. He was asked to recant because of his age, and they wouldn't find, or wouldn't burn him, or wouldn't kill him. And he looked at him and said these words, Three score years have I served him. Neither did he once harm me in any one thing. Why should I blaspheme my God, which neither hindered nor injured me? A second mile. The words of Christian to Apollyon in Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress as Apollyon was trying to get him to worship him. Here is his answer. O destroying Apollyon to speak the truth. I like my God's service. I like his lawyers. And I like his servants. I like his government. And I like his company. And I like his country better than thine. I am his servant. Therefore will I follow him. A second mile. Yes, we have an example. In fact, examples after example. But in closing, Jesus, our example, walked the second mile. Beaten, battered, bruised, and bleeding. Walked through the streets of Via Della Rosa. Fell under the load of the cross. Mocked by the crowds that had called him king and kings. And the Lord, the Lord, just a few days before, submitted to the curse of the cross. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. That he might condemn sin in the flesh and died that we might live. Yes, if you want an example, Christ Jesus himself walked the second mile. Time more than it was ever demanded of him. The Bible will tell us time after time through different words. And it was not duty that took him to the cross. It was love for humanity that took him to the cross and kept him nailed there. It wasn't the spikes that was driven in his hand and in his feet. That kept him on the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. They would have took him away. And it was love that kept him there. Love for humanity. And it was that love that saves men. And salvages individuals. And brings them in to the kingdom of all my love. Second man. Bleeding. Battered. Bruised. In shock. Fell under the weight of the cross. Stumbling. Crying out the seven cries upon the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Still yet had compassion enough in him 
to look down to John and in paraphrasing said, John, John, this is your mother and Mary, and this is your son. Comfort each other. Wow. And finally, uttered the last cry. Or the last two cries is finished. In other words, I've stayed here. I've stayed here until it's finished. Have blood is good enough. And the Bible says the veil of the temple was ripped in twain from top to the bottom, signifying a new and a living way had come into being because somebody had was able and yet desirous against all end, all odds, walked another mile. You sat here this morning because God veiled in place, chose to suffer needlessly in a sense he didn't have to. You're enveloped by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're privileged, children of God, because our example endured the pain, despised the shame, and is now set down on the right hand of power as an intercessor for you and I. Yeah, the second mile. Yes. I think God is challenging every one of us in Bethel, Bethel Tabernacle and in the city of Mount Vernon. At this time, we quit being complacent by walking one mile and laying down and shifting the burden off on somebody else and saying it's yours, I've carried my share. It's time to the weariness of heart, beaten and battered, so to speak, by the world and bleeding by the things that the world places upon us and the cursings and the mockings from the outside world. It's time we'd say, no, I'm compelled to go this mile, but because I love you enough, I'm going to walk the second one. I'm going to bear your burden. I'm going to hold you up before God. I'm going to intercede. God, take care of your family and take care of you until you come into the presence of Almighty God. In other words, I'm not going to be satisfied with just doing what commandments tell me I have to do. I'd like love to take over in our hearts and drive us to our knees and keep us there until something happens. There's a town out here that's going down, down, down. You know it, and I know it. Amen? Introducing everything imaginable. Things never have before. Simply because of business pressure. That's not the only town, but it's going down. And it needs somebody. Say, I don't agree with what's happening. I don't like what's going on. God. I've got some people I love in this town. I don't want to see it completely turned over the towns of hell. Tell their reach. Stay there like they did. And make that destroy the image. How to destroy life. How many lives have killed in the highway is celebrating this new year? None. Now to beat their government. How many will go out to meet their God and prepare this community? Largely, I suppose, because we are satisfied to just fulfill our obligations as Christians. Never show them for another body. Somebody needs to listen. Somebody needs to pray. Let us stand. As we stand, the 